This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Spring into pre-emergent weed control action for canola and pulse crops with Edge Microactive. Powerful Group 3 action takes out the broadest assortment of grass and broadleaf weeds, including kochia, wild buckwheat, and barnyard grass, before they can take over your crop. Use Edge Microactive as a part of your herbicide layering program to help maximize yields today and manage resistance tomorrow. Go to ca.gowanco.com for details. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Hi, I'm Stephanie Crowley, Editorial Director of Top Crop Manager Magazine. Like many of you, I found myself missing live events in the last year. There's just something about walking around a trade show floor, listening to live speakers and chatting with all of you over lunch or in the beer tent that can't be replaced through a webinar or an online conference. But over the past year, I've had the pleasure of attending and hosting several virtual events. And while we definitely miss some of those live perks, virtual events do a darn good job at filling the gap right now. Take, for example, the Top Crop Summit. When we decided to move our live conference to a virtual platform, we knew that a successful event would need to focus on delivering interesting and relevant content to our audience in an easy and accessible way. And at the risk of sounding a little boastful, we did just that. If you were one of the 250 plus audience members, you'll recall the dynamic speakers who joined us both live and in pre-recorded interviews to share information that we hope will help you this coming growing season. If you missed it, you can still visit topcropsummit.com to register and access the event recordings. But for a little taste of what the summit had to offer, this episode of Inputs shares some snippets from two of our on-demand sessions. First up, you'll hear a portion of my interview with Robin Bonas-Davidson, a Pulse Research Scientist at Lakeland College in Lacombe, Alberta, and formerly with Alberta Agriculture and Forestry. In this interview, Robin shared a pulse crop update for Western Canada with acreage and demand numbers for field pea, lentil, faba bean, chickpea, dry beans, and soybeans. She also talked about some new opportunities for prairie pulse crop growers. And later, you'll also hear snippets from ag editor Bree Rohde's interview with Albert Tenuta, field crop plant pathologist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs, based out of the University of Guelph in Ridgetown, Ontario. In this interview, Albert shared more information about the growing threat of tar spot across Canada and the impacts of this potentially devastating disease on corn crops. These two very different topics are just a taste of what the Top Crop Summit had to offer. Stay tuned for our digital wrap-up edition with more highlights from the event, and be sure to check out topcropsummit.com for more information. In the meantime, enjoy! Overall, the acreage hasn't changed a lot as in as far as number of acres in pulse crops. So okay. um, each crop individually has changed a little bit. Field pea is by far the, the majority um, that is common across all of the provinces. It's been very strong in Alberta and Saskatchewan for the past number of years. Um, Saskatchewan averages about 2.2 million acres um, over the past little while. Alberta just under that at about 1.7, so relatively close. We buy back and forth a little bit. Yeah. Fractionation plants in Manitoba have probably, and the announcement of all of those, has probably been the biggest factor in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Back in seven, 2017, we only had about 76,000 acres in Manitoba of field pea. 
And just this year, Stephanie, we had 176, so up 100,000 acres in 2020. There's just some demand coming from the industry right now to, okay. uh, and a lot of interest in, uh, in COP because of, because of what's happening there and, and with the fractionation plants opening. Mm-hmm. Um, lentil would be another one that stays pretty consistent across Saskatchewan. Again, they kick the other two provinces' butts for sure. They average close to 4 million acres of, of lentil every single year. Uh, Manitoba doesn't grow a lot. Um, they, you know, somewhere around, you know, thousand acres of lentil mm-hmm. out there. But probably where lentils has had the most change is in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prior to 2010, we only had about 40,000 acres of, of lentils. And then all of a sudden in 2010, we jumped to 140,000. Prices went up. Farmers started getting more interested. We've always wondered why when you hit the Saskatchewan border, it goes from lots of lentils to no lentils. So yeah. that started to change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in 2016, we were up like close to 600,000 acres wow. from like 40,000. So it's been quite, <laughs> a jump. quite significant. Yeah. No um, kidding. And even last year, there was still 450,000. So lentils has taken a stronghold and is probably, it continues to be quite strong in Alberta mm-hmm. as a result mm-hmm. of that. So fava bean is one that's changed a little bit. We used to grow fava beans back in the 80s and 90s, and then all of a sudden they started becoming popular again in you know, the middle 2000s. Mm-hmm. We had like over 100,000 acres in Alberta in 2015. Saskatchewan got quite interested too. Markets failed started going through a little bit we also had a couple dry years farmers backed off but there's still quite a bit of interest in fava bean across the prairies so yeah. there was still 60,000 acres in uh, Saskatchewan um, a few years ago and like almost 90,000 acres this year so mm-hmm. fava bean has had a bit of an impact so um Chickpea hasn't changed too much. Chickpeas is a Saskatchewan crop. They've averaged 250,000, not too much. Don't grow a lot of chickpeas outside of Saskatchewan. Alberta grows a little bit. Dry beans is by far a Manitoba crop. We have a little bit in southern Alberta. That hasn't changed a lot either. Most of the dry bean acres are contracted, so they stay pretty steady, so for sure. And then there's soybeans. There has been a tremendous amount of interest in soybeans. Um, Alberta tried it um, mm-hmm. for a while. We had 10,000 acres a few years ago. Then we get up as high as 25,000 acres. And then we realized, yeah, we can't grow those in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> Saskatchewan has been trying. They get up as far as 850,000 in yeah. 2017. Yeah. Uh, they're, but they're way, way down again. Um, Manitoba. Manitoba is where this is, um, soybeans have really taken hold and continue to flourish. So mm-hmm. other than that, that's kind of a picture of how they've, of how they've changed. So. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Now, are there any new crops coming down the pipeline that you want to share with us today? Or? Yeah, um, I think probably some of the changes that we're seeing is there's, there's a new crop that we're starting to take a little bit of interest in called lupin. Lupin mm-hmm. is a very, a very popular crop in Australia and okay. over in Europe. So we've been doing quite a bit of research over the past number of years. And that's another one. That's one that's coming down the pipe that... Uh, has really got some processing companies really interested because okay. it's super high protein. So okay. not too difficult to grow either. Um, okay. We're still learning the agronomics behind it, but the high protein's got everybody excited. 
Yeah, no kidding. Especially right now, right? When uh, for the end user, that's a, a huge draw on, on the marketing side of things for producers. Absolutely. Well, that's great. You know, I like to get some practical um, tips available for growers out of these conversations. So I'm looking ahead to 2021. You know, it's not that far away. Um, and we're going to be thinking about seeding really soon um, and even just growing and growing season in general. So um, I wondered if you could chat a little bit about some tips for pulse crop growers going into this season. Um, in terms of your field selection and uh, weed management, your seeding tips, um, just kind of the um, agronomic tips that you've got available for, for growers right now. For sure, for sure. I think the number one thing for all pulse crops is you need to start off with clean fields, for mm -hmm. sure. Pulses do not compete very well um, when, they're, when they get into some higher weed situations. So take a look at your fields and make sure that the fields you're choosing are fairly clean. You know, take a look at whether you're able to, you know, what weed issues you had. Um, lentils and peas and chickpeas, of course, like the lighter soil. So make sure mm -hmm. your field selection is done appropriately that way too. You don't want to be putting lentils where it's wet. Right. And on the flip side, you don't want to be putting fava beans or soybean where it's dry because they will just not be successful. So just make sure that you're familiar with some of the needs of these crops and choose your fields appropriately. Um, you can seed your pulse crops sooner than some of the other crops simply because they have that frost tolerant. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about, you know, how you're going to put the crops in and where you're going to put them and which fields might be ready first, which ones might take a little bit longer to dry up, um, if you can do that. Mm -hmm. But I would say the, the sim, there's, it's a similar seeding depth for all of the crops, even though you have a huge variation in seed size. I would say for fava beans, make sure you get them into moisture, for okay. sure. Um, all of them into moisture, but it's harder to get fava beans into moisture. Um, so, you know, seeding early, making sure you're going into the right depth is important. Every single pulse crop has a different inoculant and the reason why you're growing a pulse crop is because you want that rhizobium nitrogen fixation. So make sure you're using the proper inoculant. That's very important. Um, and make sure your seed is clean. Make sure you have nice clean seed, test it for diseases, treat it for some of the um, root rots that affect all of the pulse crops and make sure that your plant stands are accurate um, because they don't particularly compete very well. You don't want to start off by giving a pulse crop a step behind. You want to give it an advantage, make sure you have good, strong plant populations. Um, rolling is important for the majority of them. The pulse crops have a tendency to be quite low to the ground. It's hard to sometimes catch those bottom pods, maybe not with faba beans so much, but for your peas, yeah, they go flat. We can't yeah. pretend they don't. Yeah. Lentils, low hanging pods, you have to make sure that uh, you can get that in the bin. So rolling is important, but make sure it's not wet when you roll because that just creates a disaster. Um, and again, just keep on top of the weed issues, control them if you can in crop, especially keep an eye out for your perennials that maybe you can look at the year before mm -hmm. and the diseases. All pulse crops have a range of diseases that like to come in and create issues as all of our crops do. So control yeah. those diseases as well. So That's um, I guess the last step in kind of best practices that I want to talk about is making sure that you're desiccating your crop at the proper timing. So okay. on either end of the spectrum, if you're not desiccating your lentils soon enough, they're going to shatter and fall on the ground. Mm -hmm. If you don't desiccate your fava beans early enough and frost comes in, now you got a big mess. 
on your hands. So make sure you're using a desiccant product, which I highly recommend Reglo. I know it's expensive. <laughs> uh, glyphosate can be used. It's not a true desiccant. It's more of a pre-harvest aid and it can be used to help control some of the weeds around mm -hmm. that time of the year. But if you need to desiccate a crop quickly, Reglone by far is a superior product. So just things to keep in mind to make sure that you give the crops the advantage all the way through. That's right. Well, and as you said, you know, they don't compete well. So we want to make sure that we're getting them started off on the right foot and not, you know, setting them up to fail from the very beginning because Absolutely. that would just be terrible for everybody so absolutely yeah well that's great um and i want to talk a little bit more about scouting and just kind of again things to watch for in 2021 if we could make predictions in a perfect world uh what should we be looking for and i mean i hope we can um you know anticipate some of the problems that might come up and and some ways to to maybe combat them and and looking you know at different times throughout the season where and when and how and, and any tips on yeah. that topic well i think you know, to start off going into 2021, you know, you just need to think about what issues you might be encountering and why scouting is going to be more important. What were the weed issues you had in that field last year? Hopefully it was a cereal crop, hint, hint. Mm -hmm. um, but what issue, what broadleaf issue, what broadleaf weed issues, sorry, did you have in that field last year? Were there perennials showing up later on that you're going to fight with? Um, what herbicides did you use? You need to make sure that your recropping restrictions are adhered to. Um, baba beans can be very sensitive, as tall and robust as they are, as can peas and lentils. Mm -hmm. So just knowing what's in your fields going in to start with is going to help you decide how vital and how much crop scouting you need to do. Um, were there diseases last year? What were the diseases like when you had pulses in this field a few years ago, four years ago? Um, did your neighbor have peas last year? Did it have a lot of microsporella? Things like that. So it's important to just really think about and know what's in your fields before you kind of go in there. And then of course, scouting just becomes extremely important to make sure that you stay on top of that. We are likely to see a phanomyces because even if it's a dry year, a phanomyces is in the soil in a lot of fields. We will see the root rots. Um, microsporella will be there no matter what. Sclerotinia, if it's wet, will show up. Mm -hmm. Chocolate spot will show up on our fabas. So the diseases are going to be there. So I think it's just really important to know what's out there. And if you're looking, you know, for the root rots, you have to go out early. I mean, right. Aphanomyces moves in very, very early. And so you need to be well aware of, of what um, to expect so that you can maybe get a handle on what you can expect to see throughout the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. The foliar diseases tend to show up closer to flower. So make sure you're going out there on a regular basis, especially as the plants start to flower and keep on top of what diseases are showing up. You might not need to spray right away. I mean, there's definitely thresholds you can wait for. There's, you know, lots of, you know, scorecards and, and risk assessment cards out there available that can help you decide whether or not you spray or not. Um, but again, staying on top of it and scouting on a regular basis. I mean, there's no point looking for root rots in July. Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. There's no point looking for foliar diseases early on because of course they're not there. So just make sure you're going and looking for things and then making sure that they actually need to be controlled. Overall, it's important that you know what's going on in your fields, 
that you're inoculating properly, that you're controlling the, the issues as they arise, that you're capturing it, you're capturing the, the, uh, the crop and getting it in the bin, storing it properly, all, you know, just kind of all of those things. Um, each of the crops, Paul's crops are just a little bit different in what they need and what they require, how threatening some of these diseases are. I mean, a phantomyces is devastating right. to peas and lentils, but it doesn't touch favas. Make sure you know what's going on out there. And there's lots of resources available out there. So just yeah. um, choose your fields carefully. Um, Paul's crops are a little bit more intensive, maybe. You know, they require a little bit more of attention than some of the other crops. So yeah. that would kind of be what I would say as a yeah. final. But the return is good, right? It's worth the maintenance. Absolutely. Part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely money to be made in Paul's crops if you pay attention and do it right. So Albert, we know that tar spot can be just devastating for corn growers, but before we get into some of tar spot's troublesome travels as of recent years, can you explain why exactly tar spot is so damaging for growers? Yeah, Bree, uh, tar spot's been on the radar for you know the U.S. as well as Ontario and Canada for for you know decades there. But uh, one of the important aspects is the injury and the severity, you know, 50% yield loss is what you would have seen out of Mexico in that. So that was a, a great concern. And so a few things that uh, uh, why it's been an issue in that or a concern has been the, the impact on, on yield, right? On corn grain, on silage quality, all of those are, are keys. You know, these yield losses where it could be minor, but on average, you know, 10 to 50% of war um, is, you know, catches our attention quite quickly. Now, it's also important to remember that the, the epidemics or these yield losses are dependent on a number of factors. You know, corn, the genotype or the hybrid susceptibility is important. You know, we assume that all hybrids are, are pretty well susceptible or might have some partial tolerance. You know, also, you know, whether it's the Midwest or Ontario or, or parts of Canada, the presence of favorable environmental conditions, you know, that's 17 to 25 degrees Celsius, you know, leaf wetness, seven hours of leaf wetness, we have that at night, um, you know, most, most um, evenings during the summer and that. And so in the, the epidemic of tar spots that we've seen elsewhere, and of course, for us, uh, what we've seen in the US. So of course, it's, it's been a big concern for us. Great. And now I know the tar spot has been found in various regions of Southern Ontario in recent years, and it has made its way through the Midwest United States a few years ago. Um, I know you touched on this a little bit, but what are some of the conditions that allow tar spot to develop and then worsen? Yeah, so one of the keys here is that increased frequency that we potentially can see on these epidemics, you know, 20, 2018, 2019 in the US allows for that buildup of spores to move up from the Midwest and into, into Ontario. So that's what we saw this past year. And that movement definitely um, was not unexpected to when we saw it this, this past year. And so, you know, understanding tar spot or Phylacra maides is important. It overwinters in residue. 
So infected residue, it produces, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty easy one to identify because it produces, you know, tar spot type symptoms um, and uh, uh, structures on, on the leaves, very similar to what you would see on your ornamentals or maple trees and that. And it's that overwintering of these stroma or stromatas there, these tar spots that produce spores. And these spores are what moves uh, during periods of, as I mentioned, you know, that 16, 17 degrees Celsius to 25 degrees Celsius under those wetter conditions, you know, seven hours or so of leaf wetness. Relative humidity is very important in many of these foliar diseases. And in this case, 75% or more relative humidity is, is important. And that drives a, the potential or increases the risk of infection. But you have to remember, you have to have a susceptible host. You have to have the right environmental conditions present, as well as you need to have the pathogen there. And you know, although the environmental conditions have been, you know, environmental conditions, and we have the host say in Ontario, it wasn't until this past year that we saw the, the fungus itself. And the other concern is that, you know, the development of these symptoms can occur quite quickly. In two weeks or so, we can see in symptoms after infection. And the concern there is it's not just one cycle and then it stops. It's the cycles can repeat. And so that those initial infections then can breed and lead to more infection. And you can quickly get a snowballing effect where you get a lot of infected tissue. And the ultimate impact is it has a severe impact on, on the plant itself. It dries down, it senesces early. Um, all of that uh, results in yield loss and, and, and that or silage quality as well. And then ultimately those infected debris uh, or materials can be reintroduced into the field that could subsequently um, have an impact uh, next year and, and beyond, either in your field or other fields. I know this is a big question to ask, but is tar spot preventable? And if so, how? Well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, in many cases, it's a, it's a, a hard one to, 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 to say so right now. I would say it's, it's not really preventable in that now that we know that um, the inoculum source is, is in Ontario, for instance, you know, we found it uh, September 21st in, in the Ridgetown area. And since then, so in Chatham-Kent, and since then we've seen it in Essex, um, Lambton, Elgin and Middlesex as well. So we've got five counties in, in, in the southwestern portion of the province that had some degree of um, tar spot. You know, in some cases it was very minor. In other cases, I would have said about 10% to 50% of the, the leaf foliage was uh, severely um, showing symptoms and hybrids were a, a, a difference there as well. So that played definitely um, a factor in there. And so our risk or is it preventable? I would say, not, per, not so much right now since we have it here, as well as it's in the US. The driver every year will be what happens in terms of the environment and the source, the inoculum source. Is it gonna be minor, not a lot of spores coming around, or is it gonna be very high inoculum levels, but also when they arrive. And what we've seen in the US in those epidemic years, 2018 is a great example where you had those cooler conditions that, and wet conditions that were for most of the summer across the, uh, the Midwest there. And the spores that were developed and 
infected started very early on younger plants. And so it had a longer time to infect. And remember, I said that snowballing or those cycles, the more cycles you have, the greater potential you have for infection, but also the impact on the plant. And in many cases, by end of August, uh, we had silage plants, corn plants that were just basically senesced um, down in the U.S. So that will drive a lot of it. We can't really prevent the movement of spores. We can be aware of them. We can be uh, planning, I think, for the next year or two for us, even though we have it, have detected it this past year, our greatest risk will still be dependent on what happens in the U.S. because of that movement of those spores. If you're a grower, what are some of the first indications that you might have tar spot? The question we often get to on that as well is, you know, do we have to really adjust our management practices in most cases uh, for tar spot? And it's important to remember that, um, you know, if, if you're looking at them, regardless of where we're, whether we're looking at tar spot, northern corn leaf blight or other diseases and pest problems in that is you've got to understand your field history, right? And we've got to be out there scouting. And so it's important if you're in the Southwest, um, for sure, you'd be out there, start scouting, you know, especially if the environmental conditions, if we, if, if you're thinking, if you're a soybean grower or a dry bean grower as well, and you're thinking, do I have white mold development in my soybeans? You should be out looking at your corn too, because those are the same environmental conditions that will subsequently um, lead to um, um, tar spot as well. But you can start doing things prior to the field season, even before you start scouting. And it's not unusual to see foliar leaf diseases in, in Ontario and, and elsewhere, uh, but particularly in Ontario and Quebec. Um, we've, you know, it's northern corn leaf like gray leaf spot in those, you know, our surveys annually have seen an increase in, in those diseases. And again, it's driven by a hybrid as well as by environment work that we've been doing here for Northern Corn Leaf Blight, as well as I'm part of the tar spot uh, working group with our US colleagues and that, and looking at assessing different fungicides for efficacy against tar spot. And what we've started to see, very similar pattern to, to the Northern Corn Leaf Blight and gray leaf spot is that many of those mixed modes of action. So those fungicides that might have two or three different active ingredients have provided us the best efficacy and a longer window of protection as well. But timing is really important um, in that. So generally we look at our fungicide um, timings here at being at that tassel to that silking range. And in most years, um, that is that would be our, our preferred timing for, for probably tar spot as well as other diseases. Those years of 2018, where there was a substantial, those epidemics in the US, the disease started much earlier. And in that case, you know, a vegetative application for fungicide was uh, warranted at, at that um, stage. What we saw last year, hopefully will be typical of, of a normal tar spot year where we started to see uh, the disease into late, or symptoms into late um, September. So past that R4, R5 stage of reproduction. And at that point, you're gonna see very little impact as well. Um, you know, rotation really is not a, a big option here as well because of the, the airborne movement of, of those spores. You know, one of the big questions we get is, you know, how about managing residue? That can help um, in, in reducing some of your local inoculum, but remember these things move in the air. They, 
you know, so weather patterns, favorable environmental conditions, you can't keep the spores out. If you do discover the symptoms of tar spot on your corn, um, I guess looking at economic thresholds, how can you balance mitigating it versus frankly knowing when it's too late? So one of the first things to do is because you've got that tar spot, that um, raised bump, uh, black uh, bump on, on the leaf surface is rub it. And uh, if it feels like sandpaper, you might have a tar spot on there. And then the other thing to distinguish between if it's insect frass or, or that is to just wet your finger and rub it off and it, and it comes off. And so the important thing, the first thing is this key is to identify and target the right um, uh, disease or the right pathogen that uh, you've got there because there are a number of different um, look-alike diseases in there. From a mitigation standpoint and, and all of that is it's that timing side of things. If we start seeing it in like we did this year at that R3, R4 late into the season, you know, not really going to have an impact. We do track the disease in real time. And so that helps us um, prepare and, and get the uh, information out, the alerts out, if we start seeing tar spot early, not only here, but in the US and, and anticipate that movement of the spores into Ontario. And if it is occurring earlier, I think it will follow in place with our typical fungicide application timing of that tassel to that silk timing application. So I think, you know, um, will it require much difference in terms of mitigation practices within the season? I don't think so on a normal year. The only time it will um, is if we start seeing it coming in very early in the season and you start getting that, that buildup of uh, the snowballing effect of, of the disease. Uh, so yeah, I would love to know uh, before we say goodbye, first of all, any other advice you'd like to add or anything uh, you want to let growers know for the coming season? And yes, please also do share in any resources or websites where growers can go to learn more. Is this widespread? We're probably not likely that um, we have a lot of hybrid tolerance across most of our, our hybrids out there, but we need to incorporate them into uh, our integrated approach. As I said, fungicide application can reduce tar spot severity, and, and we've seen that. One of the other uh, cool things that uh, is being in development and one of the advantages for um, for us being linked into these regional projects is that we can plan ahead. So we've already been doing fungicide trials in Ontario, for instance. You know, we're targeting northern corn leaf blight, but at the same time, we're looking for gray leaf spot, tar spot, and those as well. And But we're also going to be working with and, and working with our colleagues in Wisconsin and, and Michigan on a, a prediction model. There's still a lot that we don't know about this disease as well. The take home for our growers here, as well as others across Canada and even into the Midwest is, you know, tar spot is here. It's gonna likely continue to spread as, a, as we've seen, you know, it's in Southwestern Ontario. Is it gonna move? Um, so gotta be aware of the disease, need to manage it accordingly, but you know, scout your fields, pay attention to the weather and, you know, follow, um, you know, be out there thinking about, um, you know, you know, our scouting, looking for information and paying attention to some of the um, alerts and, and, and that that are out there. Um, you know, we do have the tar spot monitoring through the IPM pipe. And so that 
generates a, a map of, of where tartar spot has been found. We have our fieldcropnews.com. It can, the Crop Protection Network is a great resource on, on tar spot and many other diseases out there. And as I said, we have the tar spot working group as well. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.